Good morning to all of you. I want to begin first by saying Happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers out there. It's good to see you on this day. At this time, I'm going to ask that everyone would please turn with me to Hosea. Hosea is where we'll be spending our time today. We will continue um, in this book. As you, those of you who have been here, as you know, we have just started this series in the book of Hosea. And today we're going to be um, working from Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2. So you find your place there. In this text, there's acts of infidelity, uh, unfaithfulness, and idolatry. How would you respond if, men, if your wife cheated on you and committed adultery with other men and had children by those men but still lived with you? This is the, the picture that's painted in chapter 2. Would you still love her? What if the mother of your child, your wife, begun living a life of prostitution and is still sleeping around with other men? Would you still love her? Come, let's, let's go a little bit deeper. Now, in addition to all of this, imagine if it was your mother cheating on your father. Would you still love her? Marriage is supposed to be a committed relationship. It's considered a privilege to marry. The reality is this, it doesn't always feel like a privilege. For some, it might even feel like a curse. The marriage is not what it ought to be. It can feel that way. A marriage at times can be very challenging. The dynamics can change everything, and it's guaranteed the children will be affected in one way or another, including the good, the bad, or the ugly. Hosea's family life included some horrific circumstances, but he continued loving his wife. Out of all of the Horrible things that has been going on in the relationship. He was steady. He was firm in loving his wife. And he kept pursuing her to win her back. Even when she left the home. Even when he knew she was out committing adultery. Hosea's love for his wife It's a portrait of God's love for his covenant people, Israel. God's love never fails. Despite Israel's adulterous and faithless acts, God's redeeming love 
never fails. It never falters. In this chapter, we will see a side-by-side portrayal of Hosea's relationship with his wife, Gomer, and God's relationship with his people, Israel. So you'll hear, me, you'll hear me going back and forth referring to Gomer, who represents Israel, and Hosea, who represents God. So follow along with me in today's passage as I, as I read. Hosea chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Say to your brothers... You are my people, and to your sisters you have received mercy. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. That she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born." Make her like a wilderness, make her like a parched land, and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have mercy, because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, I will hedge up her way way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but she shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil. And who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season. And I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers. And no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her merits, her feasts, her new moons, her sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of Baal, when she burned offerings to them, and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry, and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, 
Lord, we need you to help us to understand your word. We pray, Lord, that your word will go forth powerfully and clearly, Lord, penetrating our hearts and our minds, that we may contemplate the things of God, that we might leave a changed people, recognizing the truths that is found in your word. Help us, Lord God, for we are a needy people. Remove all those things, Lord, that can have us not to contemplate your word and concentrate on what you're saying to us that's relative to how we ought to live, that's relative to the circumstances. Lord, help us, Lord, that we might grow in your knowledge and in your grace. And Lord, we pray that you would grant salvation to the one who's blind, blind in their faith. We pray, Lord, for the one who's deaf. We pray for blind eyes to open and deaf ears to hear. That salvation might might be brought to the one who says, what must I do to be saved? Lord, we need you this time and at this hour. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I've entitled today's uh, sermon, The Consequences of a Broken and Forgotten Marriage. This is about a marriage. It's about... Also, a mother. Uh, It's interesting that there's some content in here about motherhood, um, considering it's Mother's Day. Uh, But this particular um, story is about Israel's unfaithfulness portrayed in Gomer's infidelity. Oftentimes within the scriptures, our great God stresses the need for sinners to repent from sin so that they might have complete fellowship with God. But in order for there to be true fellowship with him, sinners must turn from sin and forsake it, place faith in God and obey his commands with sincere hearts. As Christians, we can learn from those that have gone before us, and the word of God is our tutor. When we fail to obey God, there are consequences to our actions, and in many cases, we don't always get to see those consequences right away. Sometimes it's often then we, that we go down the road, And then begin reflecting on our lives that we begin to sing. Uh, The the, the decisions that we've made has now begun to cost us. Throughout Hosea, throughout this book, we will see illustrations of God's love beyond what we're used to. 
Despite the people's failures and constant committal of gross sins, God's love remained constant. In verse 2 through 13, I want you to keep in mind the characters throughout these verses and think of who they represent as well. Uh, remember, Hosea is, is representing the Lord, while Gomer and her adulterous children represents God's rebellious people. So first, we see Israel's spiritual adultery against the Lord in verses 2 through 5. Israel's unfaithfulness to the Lord led to spiritual prostitution. God confronts his adulterous people through his prophet Hosea by way of an unfaithful wife. Hosea tells his children who were born out of an adulterous relationship to denounce their mother for the kind of life she's living. In other words, the children must isolate themselves from their adulterous Mother, it's become clearer that this address is more about God's idolatrous people than Gomer. The nation of Israel were the ones committing gross sins against God. This means that the covenant has been broken. The covenantal relationship between God and Israel is no more. At one time, they were a people in relationship with God through being a part of the nation of Israel. But listen again to what essentially God is saying to his people. Plead with your mother. Plead for she is not my wife. And I am not her husband. To be clear, though this is a strong statement, this does not mean that God is divorcing Israel at the moment. This is made clearer in verses 14 through 23 of the chapter. The meaning of this verse has a sense of bringing charges against another person. It means to contend with. It has a sense of rebuking and uh, contesting with. So can you imagine telling your children to denounce their mother? Hosea was in a difficult situation. Sometimes Christians have to make hard choices. We have to stand up for what's right, even when it's hard. Consider uh, this for a moment. People outside of our families can accuse us of certain things we have done. But, but, but members of our families can strengthen their case because of their relationship with us. This would at least appear to be an even stronger case against us if we've done something wrong and our children is there to back the person up. That's what Hosea, Hosea is telling his children to do. 
He's commanding them to indict their mother for the lifestyle she's living. So in this case, instead of the children coming to work and help to have their mother acquitted and set free, they're coming to stand aside Hosea and saying, Mama, you're wrong. The way that you're living is wrong. And so we can see by this relationship, we're able to see more about Israel's disobedience and spiritual adultery through the marriage of Hosea and Gomer. Israel was disobedient and unfaithful to God. In this case, the Israelites mistreated God by refusing to obey him. They were greedy and lustful and insisted upon serving themselves rather than God. Gomer illustrated this by the way she treated her husband and by the life she lived. They were a corrupt people living in a corrupt culture. And therefore, Israel became corrupt by committing spiritual adultery and by worshiping idols. Despite God's love, Israel constantly violated the marriage covenant between them and God. That's more reason why the children of Israel must denounce the nation of Israel. Gomer violated her marriage and lost her status as wife. Israel's corruption is described in verse 2 and paralleled in verse 2 with two words, whoring and adultery, which indicates that the Israelites no longer had this special position with God. So next we see in verses 3 through 5, Israel's unfaithfulness to the Lord led to divine threats. Verses 3 and 4 is a follow-up to Israel's unwillingness to stop being unfaithful. Therefore, if Gomer continues her adulterous lifestyle and does not repent, her husband will, as stated in verse 3, strip her naked and make her ass in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. What does that mean? This verse seems to imply that if Israel does not repent and change, the people will suffer shame. If Gomer and Israel refuse to turn from their sinful ways, there will be consequences including public humiliation, public exposure, homelessness, and left to the elements. So likewise, Israel had nothing to bring into the marriage because Israel had nothing to give. She was broke, busted, couldn't be trusted. Israel came into her marriage as 
former slaves out of Egypt and God richly poured out his blessing upon her. God constantly told the Israelites while they were in in, uh, the wilderness that he was going to take them to a land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey. God would richly bless the Israelites. But now the nation faces exile and destruction. Continuing on in verse 4, the Lord says in the text, Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because they are children of whoredom. What does that mean? The spiritual significance in this verse points to the Israelites the Israelite people as being disqualified to be called God's people, right? In other words, they're not living up to the standard that God has called them to, to submit themselves to God, to live in holiness and righteousness. They're not living up to the standard. So therefore, they're disqualified. And according to verse 4 and 5, the mother mentioned in these verses lived as a prostitute. The most important issue here is not about the mother because the mother is a metaphor for Israel, the people of God. This Israel, I mean, this image seemingly presents Israelites, the Israelites as illegitimate children. Namely, because the culture, the political and religious leadership is presented as the mother of the Israelite people. To state it another way, the generation that came out of that culture or the generation following that culture had no right to claim the Lord as their father because they had nothing to do with God. They disowned the God of Israel. That generation learned to be greedy, immoral, and idolatrous. And the Lord declared them illegitimate children because they possessed the same desires, the same behaviors as their prostituting mother. That's why in the text the Lord says, I will have no mercy. Because they are children of whoredom. Once again, this is God's way of saying, these children are not mine. We've looked at the tests, but these children are not mine because they go after other gods and they further prove this in verse 5. There it portrays Israel's Ongoing sins. In this verse, Gomer chases after her lovers and pursues them. The New Living Translation states Hosea 2 and 5 in this way. Their mother is a shameless prostitute and became pregnant in a shameful way. She said, I'll run after other lovers and sell myself to them for food and water, for clothing of wool and linen, and for olive oil and drinks. That's, that's what she said. That's what Gomer said. So we can, we can see now that Gomer is deceived. She foolishly 
thought her ideas were helping. But we know that that's not true. Actually, they were hurting her and bringing shame on herself and her family. This mother became an embarrassment to her family because of her own selfish ways. She was drawn into continuous compromise and corruption through her ungodly affections. The same goes for the nation of Israel. They constantly brought shame to the Lord their God over and over and over again. But God's uncompromising, unmoving love pursued them even when they were unfaithful to him because our God is rich in mercy. In other words, our God's love for us goes deep. Gomer had the wrong outlook on her lovers, and Israel had the wrong outlook on Baal. Our outlook on life affects our decisions. It affects the choices we make. Do you have an have a wrong outlook on sin? Is sin causing you to lose in life? Have you truly counted the cost? Because sin hinders our success. Sin hinders our prayers. Sin hinders our approach. It's like a golfer who's trying to approach the greens so that he may make an easy putt. But when we have sin in the camp, that little white ball is in the trees because we are distant from God. We're not approaching him rightly. And so our approach must be right no matter at what level of sin Sin has a scandalous effect that would always bring about shame. People are driven by many ungodly pursuits and pleasures. How about you? What's driving you? What makes you tick? What makes you happy? What gives you joy? What's on your agenda? Is it the political scene of the day? Is it being politically informed? What have you posted lately on Facebook and Twitter? Is it Christ honoring? Are you fighting on the internet? Are you constantly arguing all the time before many people? Does it glorify God or is it glorifying you? This is the question we all must ask ourselves. This is just a little food for thought. Thirdly, Israel's separation for the sake of repentance is seen in verses 5 through 7. Gomer was so deceived by her demoralizing way of life, she credited her lovers for her prosperity so she could validate her rebellious lifestyle. 
We've seen people like that before where they validate others who are continuing in sin so that they might continue in sin. Look again at verse 5. The text says, For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. You see what happened, what's happening now? Israel is not giving honor and glory to the Lord for what he's doing in their lives. But rather, she's glorifying the idols. In this verse, Gomer acknowledged that she was an unfaithful wife to her husband when she said, I will go after my lovers. She has become satisfied with the lifestyle she's living. By the words of her mouth, see, she essentially confessed her infidelity to her husband. She believed she can live as a prostitute and it'll be all fine. She believed that her basic needs would be met by her lovers. The sixth item she mentioned is bread, which covers her food. Water covers her thirst, wool and flax. We would call that linen today. Will cover her need for clothing. All and drink covers her luxuries. Likewise, the Israelites expected Baal to love her. So she foolishly gave herself over to idol worship and pursued the one she loved to give her the same basic needs. But here's the problem. She was married. She was in covenant relationship with God. She had a husband. Will any sane man stand by and let his wife remain with him while she pursues another man? I don't think so. No, he'd put a stop to it, right? That's if he's willing to restore his marriage. Marriage. Not everyone is signing up for that. So you can see that it takes a God-like work for Hosea to continue in a marriage with the wife who is unfaithful. And we can say the same thing about a God who will love us despite our failures of sinning over and over and over again. God's love is so amazing and profound that he's willing to guide Israel on the path that leads only to repentance. In verses 6 and 7, the Lord declares, Therefore I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. She shall say, I will go and return to to my first husband, for it was better for me than now. Then than now. Though Israel attempted to pursue 
other paths and other gods that led to destruction and disgrace. The Lord caused a divine hindrance so that the Israelites would not bring shame to themselves. He literally blocked her paths and fenced her in so that she could only take the path that led to true success. All of Israel's attempts to get what she would want failed. And verse 7 says, she shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but not Find them. Aren't you glad that God in his divine wisdom don't allow us to be as sinful and as evil as we possibly can? We have to admit that this world is very attractive according to the flesh. It tempts us and lures us to seek after things in the world rather than the things of God. God, aren't you glad that God doesn't allow for us to experience sin and evil in its ultimate sense? Can you imagine a world like that? Sin is running rampant. And is at its most highest peak. Again, it just reminds us of the mercy of God. For God is holding back the reins. So that evil and sin can't pour in to be all that it could be. This is the beauty of God's love. And he's holding us back. For not giving in. To sin as we can. It's only by God's grace. And so our God is rich in mercy. He loves deeply. He only wants what's best for us. He wants us to have the finer things in life according to the faith. Therefore, we ought to trust him. Wait, wait a minute. We must trust him. Therefore, we have to continue to be aware of the trap game. For Satan, our enemy, is seeking whom he may devour. Some who started out with us is no longer in the faith. They have forfeited themselves by giving themselves over to the gods of this world. They've been swallowed up. We saw a picture of this by a young man who had riches. We know him as the rich young ruler. He was covered in riches, and he could not find himself to get rid of those fleeting pleasures so that he might be with the one who has eternal life. You see, repentance is necessary in order for us to have right relationship with God. It is a constant turning from sin. Everyone needs repentance. We must turn and look to Christ. God wishes that all men would be saved. We must repent. What is repentance? A 
according to one dictionary, biblical repentance is, and I quote, a change of mind leading to a change of action. It involves a sincere turning, turning from sin to serve God and includes sorrow for sin and confession of sin and where possible, even retribution ought to be given. God is patient with us and does not give us what our sins deserve. Instead, he extends mercy. He allows repentance. But at some point, for some of us, mercy will run out. It's in an eternal consequence if we fail to grasp hope of the hope that is found in no other but the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an eternal consequence if the mercy of Christ runs out on you. Repent today and be saved. Jesus warns against this in Matthew 16, 26, saying, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Then, in Psalm 7, verse 12, the text warns against unrepentance. Stating, if a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. In other words, an unrepentant sinner will receive what his sinful deeds deserve. After the Lord does his convincing work, Israel will come to the conclusion that God's plan is better. And then she would take action in returning to him. We're able to see this in Gomer's response in the text. In the text, it says, then she shall say. It's, it's kind of like uh, the, the young man who went to his father and said, I, I want all of my stuff now before you die. And he went out and wasted everything. The scripture says that at some point, he came to himself. And so, when we see repentance, at some point, we have to come to ourselves and come to the reality that we have offended God and we begin turning to him and begin walking towards Christ. And so, we see a little picture of this. When she says, I will go and return to my first husband for it was better. Doesn't that sound like the same young man? My father, he, he, he has everything that I need there. He has servants. The servants are living better than, than anyone else in the world. He treats them well. I shall return to my father. So we see a, a sense of, of contrast here, a parallel here. But, but here's the unfortunate thing. This doesn't last long. Not with Israel. 
It doesn't last long. After Israel begun turning, she still doesn't recognize God as her true provider. As a consequence for Israel's disobedience and misuse of God's good gifts, her benefits are taken away. And so lastly, in verses 8 through 13 of our text, we see Israel's benefits taken. This section explains how all of Israel's blessings will be taken away from them because they had forgotten God. Gomer's unwillingness to abandon her adulterous lifestyle reveals Israel's unwillingness to remain in covenant relationship with God. Instead, the nation continued worshiping Baal. They continued worshiping idols instead of worshiping the true and living God. Who is Baal? I'm glad you're at. It was said that Baal was known as the Canaanite storm god and bringer of rain, chief of the Canaanite deities. As the storm god and bringer of rain, Baal was recognized as sustaining the fertility of crops, animals, and people. Baal was a part of the religion of virtually every culture of the ancient Near East. You remember this scene through the prophet Elijah, where they were calling on Baal, and Elijah was saying, different things to tempt them. Maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe he's taking a nap. And they begin cutting themselves because they were warning Baal to respond. So through the prophet Elijah, the Lord showed himself superior over Baal, who supposedly was the storm God, bringer of rain. Elijah, the prophet of God, did this when he announced that there would be no rain, but instead there would be a drought for three years. To get an idea of how Israel fell into sin, listen to Israel's first encounter with Baal. In Numbers 25, verses 1 through 3, the text says, while Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself with Baal of Peor. And then it says, and... The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And from this point forward, the Israelites committed adultery before the Lord constantly through Baal worship. Through this one encounter, and God commanded them 
not to take part in anything in the land of the neighboring countries. We remember that uh, there was a, uh, a young man in Joshua's army. And Joshua and the Israelites were taking everything. The Lord had given them power and strength. But when sin came in the camp, they started losing. And God told Joshua, there's sin in the camp. And because of that sin, they could not have success. And so we see this struggle in wilderness living. When we fail to acknowledge God, when we fail to look to him and to honor him and to live for him, we are just like the Israelites living in the wilderness. Mouths dry of thirst, hunger. Jesus says, come to me. Jesus is our all in all to fill our greatest needs of hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so Israel kept sinning against God daily in his presence. Israel kept falling into sin because she failed to remember that it was God who had provided for her, not Baal. In verse 8, it says, and she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. So they took what God gave them, and they went and worshiped other gods and idols. This, is, this points to Israel's misuse of God's gifts for evil. They had forgotten his words and his promises. So many times in scripture, it warns of how easy it is to forget God. It's so easy for us not to read the word of God. It's so easy to put it on the shelf for later. It's, oh, it's so easy for us to say tomorrow, not now. But when we do that, we are forgetting God. And so we have to be reminded the word of God is life unto us. We're to feed on it. And so here we see that when Israel pursued possessions and wealth and all those things that are empty and unfulfilling, it led to spiritual adultery. It led to a decayed society and the destruction of a nation. Then in verses 9 and 10, because Israel misused God's gift and offered it to Baal instead of her true provider, God says, I'm going to take it back. It's mine anyway. He says, I will take back my harvest and my material wealth. And then he promised, I'm going to punish Israel by exposing her to other nations. And then he steps back and as if God folds his hand and says, and none of the other nations can take anything from me. Here we're seeing a picture of the sovereignty of God. 
God will cause divine retribution to fall upon Israel because of her ingratitude, because of her disobedience and her offerings to idols of Baal. God will bring Israel to public disgrace. And we said earlier that sin is scandalous. Then in verses 11 and 12, we see that God wanted nothing to do with their corrupted forms of celebratory feasts and religious holy days. The God of heaven promised to end them all and bring destruction to their produce in the land so that they will be no more. In other words, God is churning them. He's putting them in position that they can't turn to anyone else but God. And so may we learn from them. May we learn also not to misuse God's good treasure. We must guard against becoming materialistic. The riches of this world never satisfies. In Matthew 19, 23 and 24, Jesus said to, the, to his disciples, truly, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What does this mean for us? Simply be very, very careful with riches and possessions because material goods can turn the heart and that makes it harder to enter the kingdom of God. We must be be good stewards over all that God has given us. Israel should have remembered that God is her provider. She should have acknowledged God for her prosperity. Instead, Israel burned offerings to the Baals and had feast days and adorned herself with the gold and the silver that the Lord gifted her with. And because of this, the Lord said, I will punish her for all those times when she burned incense to her images of Baal, when she put on her earrings and jewels and went out to look for her lovers, but forgot all about me. My brothers and sisters, these are the consequences of a broken and forgotten marriage. We can all relate to forgetfulness We've all passed down that road before. If we have not, we're lying. Because at some point we've failed to remember God in all things. It is in those times when it's difficult, when the circumstances of life hits us hard, that sometimes we forget. We forget in those times where we ought to honor God more, giving him the glory that he deserved despite the situation. So many times we see our circumstances greater than our God. We bring God down and we bring our trials and tribulations up as if we don't have any hope. And we, like the Israelites, carry this out in the presence of God. My brothers and sisters, let's 
repent of this grievous sin and let us return to Christ in all circumstances. What does that mean? That means that we all have areas we can grow in. There's areas where we need to turn to Christ and begin serving him in a way that pleases him and honors him so that we might shine bright the name of Christ. We must look to him by faith. May we do as the scripture teaches us in James 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let us, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. In closing, I want to leave you with this love story entitled The Sacrifice of Mother Hen. All the children, raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> See some adults too. <laughs> I want you to pay attention to this story, children. The forest fire had brought under control had been brought under control. And the group of firefighters were working back through the devastation, making sure all the hot spots had been extinguished. As they marched across the blackened landscape between the wisps of smoke still rising from the smoldering, smoldering remains, a large lump on the trail caught a firefighter's eye. As he got closer, he noticed it was the charred remains of a large bird. They had burned nearly halfway through. Since birds can so easily fly away from the approaching flames, the firefighter wondered what must have been wrong with this bird that it could not escape. Had it been sick? are injured. Arriving at the carcass, he decided to kick it off the trail with his boot. As soon as he did, however, he was startled half to death by a flurry of activity around his feet. Four little birds flailed in the dust and ash, then scurried away down the hillside. The bulk of the mother's body had covered them from the searing flames. Though the heat was enough to consume her, it allowed her babies to find safety underneath. In the face of the rising flames, she had stayed with her young. Her dead carcass and her fleeing chicks told the story well enough. She gave the ultimate sacrifice to save her young. The hen in the story was the only chance for those chicks to have safety. She being willing to spare her own life had gathered them up under her wings to herself. At the point of terrible pain and death, when she might still have saved herself, 
She chose to stay through the whole ordeal. What a story. Would you agree? No? Good story, right? But, but this story beautifully portrays what it means to be sacrificial. But you know what's... There's a greater story than this. Jesus, while heartbroken over sinners for their ongoing rejection, said these words, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered you, gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing He goes on to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is willing to save you. He paid the ultimate sacrifice when he went to the cross to pay for sin once and for all. Everyone who come trusting in him, he will save them from their sins. Like the fire in the story, hell is real. And whoever do not turn to Christ will spend eternity there. So don't deny him today. Like that mother hen with her chicks, Jesus came to gather those who are his, those who would believe in him, those who would turn to him, those who would trust in him to be saved. They will have everlasting life. Believe, for no good works can save you, But your faith in Christ alone and his works alone is enough. Believe, friend, and be saved. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, do with your word unto us what you will that we might become what you would have us to be. For your name's sake and for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.